Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. St. Peter's Episcopal Church in Detroit runs a food kitchen. And five days a week, they produce, they feed about 200 people, in addition to handing out uh, groceries. And they do this five days a week, every single week of the year. Two years ago, on Christmas Eve, uh, let's see, two years ago, yeah, two years ago, on Christmas Eve, 16 Muslims went to the church at 5 a.m. on Christmas Eve morning to take over and serve that day. They were asked, why did they, why did they show up on that particular day? And what they said was, was that they wanted to uh, give the people who were working there, who were volunteering there and, and doing this great thing for the community, they wanted to give them Christmas Eve off so that they could stay home and spend that time with their families. They've been doing it every year since. I love this story because they took an opportunity to not just bless one group of people, but they blessed two groups of people. The people that they were serving that day and the people who regularly volunteered to and would normally have been away from their families that day were able to go and spend time with their families. Now, I think that if um, a lot of other Christians, of course, none of you here, but a lot of other Christians would have heard this story, they might be surprised. Surprised that they could see the reflection of Jesus in the face of a woman who was wearing a hijab. And it shouldn't be. But the great thing about this story is that these, this group of people, they had an opportunity and they made a decision to go and take action and do something different that made a difference in people's lives. Now, this is not a political statement, so please don't send me any emails. I'm not here trying to argue one point or, or another. All I'm trying to say is, is that here's a group of people who decided that they were going to get involved and do something good, and then they went out and did it. It reminds me of this story of a, of a, of a boy, and, and he was having a conversation with his dad, and, and so he says, he asks his dad, he says, Dad, there's, there's uh, three frogs, and they're, they're, they're on a branch that's over a pond, and one of them decides to jump. How many frogs are left on the branch? And so the father says, well, two. And the boy says, no, no, there's three frogs on the branch, and one of them decides to jump. How many are left on the branch? And the father, he finally gets it. Okay, yeah, I know. It, there's none, because the one jumped off, and then the other two followed him. And the boy says, no. And so the father says, okay, how many are there? Well, there's three frogs on the branch. Why? Because the one frog only decided to jump. He didn't actually do it. And so, today... What we're going to talk about as we start off this new year is we're going to talk about going past making the decision and taking a step forward into action. Uh, If you were with us here a few weeks back, actually by now it's probably a couple of months back, uh, we talked about how we had made an adjustment 
in our mission here at Grace Point. It wasn't an adjustment that changed our mission, but it was simply an adjustment in the language so that it would reflect the language that we use here, that it would reflect the culture that our church and each of us find ourselves in, and that it would reflect the community that we were trying to reach. And so we changed our mission statement to read this way, and it says to meet people where they are and to inspire them to follow Jesus. And we're very intentional about making sure that if you come to Grace Point just a couple of times, that 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 phrase is going to get stuck in you. Because I try to use it when I can, when when the message is here. But every week, whoever is, is up here hosting is going to repeat that mission. Because as part of Grace Point Church, it's important that you know why we're here. And why we exist. To meet people wherever they are. Physically. Emotionally, mentally, financially, wherever they are. And to live a life that inspires them to make the decision to follow Jesus the same way that many of us have. This is the the mission of Grace Point Church. And if you are here, if you call Grace Point your home, then this is your mission. And you have to make a decision too. Sometimes we make that decision every day, a decision on whether or not we're going to act. Because action is the expression of a decision. I can decide to do something, but you won't really know if I've actually decided to do it until I do something, until I take an action so that it is reflected that I've done something because it's not just words, it's not just a thought, it's me actually doing something. But listen, inaction is also the expression of a decision. When you are put forth with something in front of you and you know that you're supposed to do something about it, whether you decide you're not going to do something about it or whether you keep pushing it aside and not having to think about it, that is a decision. It's an expression of a decision. And so today what I want us to look at together is a really, really cool story Uh, It's an event that happened a long, long time ago. And the reason that we know that this event actually happened is because in the Hebrew Scriptures, what today many of us call the Old Testament, this entire event was recorded so that years later we could take a look at it. And for me, this is one of the best and the most hilarious stories that there is in Scripture today. And I think you're going to, if you grew up in church uh, if you were, are, are, have been a Christian for, for when you were younger, you probably heard this story because it's a relatively popular story as far as you know Bible stories go. But I'm telling you that this is actually a story that you probably shouldn't tell the whole thing to your kids because of some of the words that they say. And it's a story that is absolutely funny to me. And so what we're going to look at is it's an event that happened in the life of, of a prophet that lived thousands of years ago, and that's, this prophet's name was Elijah. And you may have heard that name because he's a, he's a pretty uh, well-known prophet as far as the prophets of God go. And it's, it, it was an event that happened where Elijah, who was a prophet of God, went up against the prophets of a god that, they, that the people called Baal. Now, Baal was a, was a prophet of the Canaanites. He was a, or a, uh, the, the god of the Canaanites. And many, many people, many, many more people than at that time were worshiping God, worshipped Baal. And Elijah was sent by God. God said, I want you to go to King Ahab, who at the time was the king of Israel. 
King Ahab's wife was a woman named Jezebel. Now, that even if you don't know the Bible, even if, if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, you probably have heard the, the name Jezebel, because even in culture today, we use that, word, that name Jezebel to describe a particular type of woman. It, that all comes from this account of this story that happened a long, long time ago. And um, so King Ahab, he was the ninth king of Israel. So he was in the line of succession, and he was the king of God's people. But he was married to Jezebel. And Jezebel was a Phoenician. She was a Phoenician princess. And her, in, 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 in that time, um, the Phoenicians worshipped Baal. And because Jezebel was King Ahab's wife, all throughout Israel, there were temples and altars to Baal. So Elijah comes and he tells the people that there's a drought that's coming. And no one believes him, but a drought comes. And three and a half years into the drought, God talks to Elijah again and he says, I want you to go and talk to the king of Israel again. And so this is where the story picks up. And um, if you want to follow along, if you've got your Bible apps or your Bibles, you want to follow along, we're going to be in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. But we're going to put them on the screens so that you can follow along that way. And I'm going to kind of go through this pretty quickly because this is a long story. But again, one of the funniest stories that I've ever read. Here we go. So in 1 Kings 18, 19, it starts like this. And this is... um, This is... uh, Elijah talking, and he says, Now summon all Israel to join me at Mount Carmel. Now, you have to understand what Mount Carmel is. Mount Carmel is not like a mountain. It's actually a mountain range. It starts at the Mediterranean, just south of Israel, and then it flows kind of southeast. And Mount Carmel is an oddly shaped mountain because on one side, it's very, very sharp. It drops right off. And on that side where it drops right off, there's a lot of caves. And in those caves, um, there were a lot of, um, well, the word that they use is robbers, but bad people were living in the caves. But on the, on the opposite side of the mountain, it was a nice, easy slope, and it was full of vegetation. And so this mountain, everybody knew it, and everybody knew to stay away from it. But on the top of that mountain, there was, a te- there was an altar to God, and over the years, other kingdoms would come in and they made altars to their gods too. And in the process of those other altars coming up, the altar that was first there, the altar to God, was destroyed. And so Elijah says, bring all of Israel, all of Israel, not just a couple of guys, not just everybody who's in the neighborhood, everybody in the entire nation of Israel, bring them all to join me at Mount Carmel. And then he says, not just them, but Bring also all 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who were supported by Jezebel. It goes on and it says, So Ahab, who was the king that Elijah was talking to, summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets, and they all went to Mount Carmel. And then it says this, Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, and now he's talking to the the people of Israel. He's talking to God's people. And he says, how much longer will you waver? How much longer will you waver? 
and and the the imagery that that this that this gives when you look at the original uh, Hebrew, it's the image of a tree with two branches that have grown together, where you can't they've grown and intertwined together so much that you can't tell what part is from what branch. And he says, "How much longer will you waver?" And then he uses this word hobbling, like. Have you ever seen somebody who's been injured and, and they can't walk straight and they're hobbling? You're, what was that movie with um, oh, Kathy Bates? Misery. Oh, Misery! Right? If you've ever seen that movie and, and when James Cons gets hobbled, this is what he's talking, this is the image that he's presenting. That you are so confused and so wounded that you can't even walk straight. You walk around like you've been hobbled. Thank you for that misery. I'm going to go watch that now. And then he says, hobbling between two. And he uses this interesting word. He says, opinions. Right? He doesn't say two choices. He doesn't say two gods. He says... Hobbling between two opinions. Bless you. In other words, what he's saying is this, is that some of you have this opinion that goes this direction, and some of you have this opinion that goes this direction, and you haven't made a decision. Which, which is the best pizza place in the area? Well, Toto's. Well... I don't know. It's Toto's, right? I mean, there's nowhere else. But you see what I'm saying? So you just kind of go back and forth between, hmm, I don't know. And that's what, that's what Elijah was saying was happening with the people. That they had this opinion that, who's the real God? Is it God? Yeah, maybe. But is it Baal? Uh, I don't really know. Because, you know, there were, no, there were no statues of God. There were no idols of God. They couldn't see God. But there were temples and there were idols and statues of Baal everywhere. And sometimes, even today, it's easy for, easier for us to choose something that we can see and hold and put right in front of us than it is to believe in something that we can't see. And they were dealing with the exact same thing. He goes on and he says this, If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. In other words, you got to choose. But the people were completely silent. And let me tell you that for them, this really wasn't a choice. You see, it wasn't like they were tottering back and forth and wondering if one God was better than the other. They knew that this was the children of Israel. This was God's chosen people. They knew that God was God. But you see... Baal was really, really fun. All right, I, you, what do you mean fun? So, Baal was the god of the sky and the god of the rain. And what the sky and the sunshine and the rain bring is fertility. And Baal was the god of fertility. Which means part of their worship... And part of the way that they, they would uh, offer sacrifices to Baal was having sex. No kids in the room, right? This was part of their worship. They, had, they, they, they would have nudity and, and sex. And have you ever, 
if you've never been a parent, it's, it might be hard for you to understand this, but have you ever caught your kid doing something and you said, you're trying to get them to say that they're sorry, and they're thinking to themselves, well, no, because I really had a, a, a lot of fun doing that. I don't really want to say sorry, and so what do they do? They just kind of go like this. Right? They don't say anything. This is exactly what the entire country was doing. Baal, uh, uh, Elijah was saying to them, hey, come on, you've got to choose one or the other. And they knew which one they were supposed to choose, but the other one was so much more fun and entertaining and convenient. There was only one temple to God, and it was in Jerusalem. These altars to Baal were everywhere. It goes on, because they're completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. And that was an indictment upon the people who were there. Because this was Israel. There should have been many, many prophets of the Lord. But there weren't. You know why? Because they had all been run out by the prophets of Baal. In fact, some of them, about, it talks earlier on that there's a hundred of them hiding in a cave somewhere. Because they were scared. And they weren't getting any support by the people in Israel. So here's Elijah. He says, I'm the only prophet of the Lord who has left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I love that. This is what I want you to do. Get two bulls. We are going to have a barbecue. You guys get your bull, chop him up into pieces and put him on the grill. Basically is what he's saying. And then he says, I will prepare the other bull. Because I, I, I would imagine that you know, Elijah probably has a different spice rub that he wants to put on his pieces. So here's Elijah, and he cuts up his bull. I prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. And then here's his challenge. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And we're not going to set fire to it. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. Now, if you look at the depictions of Baal from this time period, what you will see is you will see Baal riding on a horse and lightning coming out of his hands. This was like superhero stuff, right? Lightning coming out of his hands. What they believed was that the lightning was controlled by Baal. So Elijah was going right up against what their belief was. If you guys are worshiping the God of lightning, then he should have no problem setting fire to that bull. In fact, you choose the bull. You go first. Do whatever it is that you need to do. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Of course they agreed. This takes all of the pressure off of them. They don't have to decide. They're just going to look and see what happens. And then they'll figure it out from there. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls and prepare it and call on the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. They're begging now. They're running around the the thing and they're trying to get Baal's attention. It says, but there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. Now, I'll talk about this later, but next week, you probably know that the 49ers are going to be playing right about the time that we are going to be in here for, for, as we continue on the series. So, 
I'm going to be here in one of my 49er jerseys. I want to invite you all to do the same. Because that's the time we've got to be sending out good vibes. No, but seriously. Um, if you are a football fan, do you know what this signal means? Seriously? No. No. This is timeout. Okay. This. This is holding. I'm struggling here. Is there anybody who knows what this is? You're looking it up? All right. I will tell you what this is because we've seen it quite a bit this year. This is the hand signal for unsportsmanlike conduct. It's what you get when you taunt the other team, when you say bad words, when you do anything that we don't want our children to do. It's unsportsmanlike. It's unsportsmanlike conduct. Now, before we go to the next verse, what I want to tell you is, is that if... Elijah was in a football game, and he said what he's about to say, what they would have done was they would have blown the whistle and they would have gone unsportsmanlike conduct. Because you see, Elijah already knows how this thing is going to end. So he's looking at this thing and he's laughing. It's like, it's like the, somebody uh, trying to turn on an appliance. Have you ever had, had somebody trying to turn something on, but it's not plugged in? And so they're shaking it and turning it upside down and trying to figure out why the thing doesn't turn on. And you're laughing because you can see that it's not plugged in. So this is Elijah. This is what he's looking at. This is what he's faced with. So he's watching them and he's now going to taunt them. You know what he's going to say? He's going to say, maybe your God is sleeping and you've got to wake him up. Maybe he's taking a dump. I know, it's gross, but it's exactly what the guy was saying. Listen, look at the next verse. It says, about noontime, so now we've gone through the whole morning, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. He says, you'll have to shout louder. I mean, if he is really a god, he's going to hear you, but maybe you're not loud enough. So shout louder, and then look at what he says. He says, perhaps he is daydreaming or is relieving himself. Yeah, it's interesting because when they first translated this from the Hebrew to the Latin, they didn't know how to use the Latin without it being vulgar. So they struggled over what words to use. You see, when he said this, he wasn't as polite as it is translated here. He says, maybe he's daydreaming your God. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's on a vacation, right? Maybe he's asleep and needs to be wakened. All of these things, unsportsmanlike conduct on Elijah. 15-yard penalty. But Elijah didn't care. You know why? Because he knew how the story was going to end. It says, so they shouted louder. Following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. So now, now we've gone from you know, weird to really, really weird. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but still there was no sound, no reply, no response. And then it says, Then Elijah called to the people. All of the people who were surrounding, they were surrounding the, the, the altar that they had made for Baal, the, the bull that had been cut up and laid out. They were all surrounding it because they were waiting to see the lightning come down and it never happened. And so Elijah, it's now that he's been there all day and nothing's happened and he's had his fun and he's saying, okay, come on, come on over here. 
He says he called to the people, come over here. And they all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Now, there was no reason for him to have to do this except to send them a message. You see, what he was telling them was that at one time you understood that this was God's, that this was all about God, that this was God's place. And it was all been destroyed because you let it go. So before we do anything else, we are going to put God's place back together. And so he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. He took 12 stones, it says. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. He's reminding them now of their history. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Not only that, he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. Now, this part is not really that impressive because, you know, three gallons is not really that much. That's like four bowls of cereal. So three gallons in a whole trench. But there was a trench and it was holding three gallons and that's what he did. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. All right, we're ready to throw down. You've tried with yours. I've tried with mine. But then Elijah, because Elijah wants to make sure that everybody understood what was going on, he took it one step further. He says, then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. In other words, look, fire and water usually don't mix, but let me show you how strong and powerful, much stronger and much more powerful God is than this thing that you have been worshiping all this time. So let me take some water, and we're going to douse this thing. We're going to make it nice and wet. And then he says, well, maybe once isn't enough. So he says, after they had done this, he says, do the same thing again. Four more big jars of water over everything. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. And as, and as, and so they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar, and it even filled the trench. The three-gallon trench. Come on, I should have made it bigger. It would have been a better story, but I didn't write it. So, a three-gallon trench, it was all filled up. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, reminding them of who they were and what their lineage was and how many times God had come through for them. Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all of this at your command. In other words, this drought that came, it wasn't because of me. All the problems that you guys are having, it wasn't because of me. It's because of God. Because God told me that this is what was going to happen. He says, O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. You see, he's saying, I want all of them to know that you orchestrated all of this because you wanted your people to come back to you. He says, immediately, immediately, there, there was no cutting there, there was no stabbing. There was no blood gushing. There was no time for mocking. He says this, and immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, 
the stones, the dust, it even licked up all the water in the trench. In other words, God did more than what was expected. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. They had a choice. They had a decision to make. And they had become used to living in two worlds at the same time. Right? There were temples for Baal everywhere. And so everywhere that they went, it was very easy for them to worship there. And worship there was fun. And it was entertaining. And it appealed to them. And no one got mad at them for doing it because it was accepted by everybody. But they slipped and walked and eased away from God. Today, the temples that we worship at are very different. Because today, the things that occupy us and take us away from God look very different. The things that, that, we, that today that are convenient and entertaining for us are at the movie theaters. Or they're on Netflix. They're, they're on Facebook. They're convenient and they're entertaining. I mean, it could be anything. The thing that we worship could be our job or our careers or, or our husbands or wives or, or our children. See, they're not necessarily bad. In fact, many of those things are good. If they are in the right place and in the right order of priority. But when we put them as in that most important place, then that's when it goes from being something that's a part of our life to something that encompasses all our lives. And that's when it becomes worship. And Elijah back then was telling the people that they had to make a decision, that they had to either choose God or choose all of those other things. But you can't do both. He was saying you can't straddle the fence anymore. It was time to choose it was time to make a commitment. And so today, I want to invite you into that same commitment. Because just like the people there who saw the miracles of God all around them and said, yes, you are God. I've seen the miracles. Yes, you are God. There are miracles right in front of you today. For those of you who are watching us online, you don't get to the privilege of seeing what I see here today. And the, the conversations that I have heard of the miracles that have happened right here that are sitting to your left and to your right. Because if you're waiting to see the miracle of God in your life before you commit, then I want you to look around. Because there are people here today who have lived those miracles. There are people who are around you today who have seen the water of cancer poured over their lives. And God showed up. There are people here today who have seen the water of financial disaster poured over their lives. And God showed up. There are people here today who have seen the water of divorce and broken relationships doused over their lives. And then they've seen God show up. There are people here who have seen the miracle of God in their lives. And so if you're looking for that evidence, it is all around you right there. 
And so I want to invite you to make a commitment to God. To make that commitment. That you're not going to straddle the fence anymore. That you're not going to try to to pick and choose and do both at the same time. That it's not about what you cut out of your life, but it's about what order you put things in. And what becomes the most important thing. But as an extension of that, today as we start off and and, and we do this at the beginning of every year. We talk about what our vision is for 2020. And so for the rest of the few minutes that we have left together, I'm going to talk to you about my vision for 2020. For our church for 2020. And that vision starts with my invitation for you to commit to Grace Point. Whether you have been here every week since we started or whether this is your first time here. I want to invite you to that commitment because some of you, you've been dating the church for a long time and it's time to fish or cut bait. It's time for you to make a decision. Whether this is something that is new to you or not. Listen, whether you are a Christian or not, because here at Grace Point, what we believe is that you can belong before you believe. You can be a part of what we're doing here before you believe everything that we believe. Because this is supposed to be a place where we walk together. And so in the past, my focus as your pastor has been for growth in the church. Growth in our church was the priority. And why? Because we needed to grow. You need to have growth in order to attain attain stability. To be stable in resources, to be stable in people. But also, we wanted to grow because the more people that we knew that could come into these doors... That God had opportunities for life change for every single person who came in. And so, for the last six years, I've spent most of my time doing work on the church. This year, I'm going to spend my time focusing not on growth of the church, but growth in you. In all of you. Even for you who's watching us online. That is where my focus is going to be. Not work on the church, but to work the work in the church. And so I am going to take 2020 as my exchange for your commitment to Grace Point. I'm going to tell you what my commitment is going to be for you. And it's going to come in three areas. It's my commitment to do everything I can to impact, number one, your walk. Now, the word, in, in, uh, the word walk, as we look through Scripture, and, and you've heard, you may have heard me talk about this before, but the, the word that people use as far as their connection with God and how they live with God, in fact, in, in many of the churches that, that started here uh, early on, part of the, the, one of the questions that they would ask you was, how goes your walk? In other words, how's your relationship with God? And so as part of my investing in and encouraging your walk with God, what we're going to focus on is we're going to focus on, first of all, a four-week class that we're going to start in February called Growth Track. And not only is it going to introduce you to our church, but it's going to introduce you to the disciplines and the things that we need to do so that we can stay really, really connected in with God. It's going to be a four-week class. We're going to rotate it through. But the second thing is is that I am going to do everything I can to push for more life groups to start. Now, just a show of hands, um, we do a starting point group. Uh, We've done, we're in, we're wrapping up our second one. And starting point is a, is a, is a, 
introduction to faith. If you have been in a starting point group here at Grace Point or are currently in one, would you raise your hand? If you've been in one or currently are in one. It is, if you have never experienced it, it is one of the best ways, not only for you to connect with, with, with each other, but for you to explore what it is that you really believe. And so we're going to start working on that because, listen, the time that we have here is great, and I am so privileged to be able to see you guys every week. But life change doesn't happen here. Life change happens when we get to know each other and when we live life together. So this is the first part, is I am going to be investing me in your walk. But the second thing is, is that I also want to do what we can to invest in your life. Because your walk is great, but some of us need real practical things that we can, that we can, that will make a difference in our lives. And so we're going to work on personal development. We've already got planned um, in February, we're going to be doing another round, uh, partnering with a couple of churches that, that we have partnered with before to do Financial Peace University as part of what we do here. And if you don't know anything about FPU, FPU is, is, a, uh, is a, a national uh, eight-week course on how to manage money God's way. And if you look at the, the statistics on how much debt is, is um, paid off and, and how much income has increased from people who've gone through the course, you would not believe that it's true. But I will tell you that it has worked in my family. I've seen it work in other people's families, not only with Financial Peace University, but throughout the rest of this year, we're partnering with, with uh, other churches to do a nine-week course on marriage and a nine-week course on parenting. And we're even looking at doing something over the summer um, that I've been wanting to do for a couple of years now called adulting, adulting 101, so that we can, we have a whole generation of, of young people that are coming up and they don't know how to buy insurance or balance their checkbook because they don't teach that stuff. And so we want to get some of you involved in helping doing that. The third thing is this, is after we talk about, after we talk about how we can improve your walk, and how we can improve your life, we want to give, I want to invest in improving your church. And what that means is, is filling out the ministry areas that right now we don't have. I love when Sabrina is up here, but I would love to have musicians doing live music every week. I love what April is doing over with the kids, but I would love to have three or four more of her and fill up each one of those classrooms. I love the fact that, that we have... People in the back, the beautiful young ladies who are always in the back, greeting people. But man, I'd love to have people out, hit them out in the parking lot. Because the statistics tell us that someone will decide whether or not they're going to return to your church seven minutes after they hit the parking lot. Seven minutes, they've already decided whether or not they're going to come back. Which means before they hear her sing, before they hear me speak, before they even taste that wonderful charcuterie, they've already made their decision whether or not they're going to come back. So I want to fill that out. But the other thing is this, is that there are many of you here who need to, for your own purposes, need to step up and be a part of the leadership of our church. Who, who need to take the skills and, and the experience that you've gained in the marketplace and in other areas and bring it here so that we can continue to make a difference in this community and help God reach people. Because he can't do it without us. And until we decide and make that commitment, nothing is going to happen.
I remember the first time ever that I went skiing. And I love Lake Tahoe. I know I've said this many times. And we used to go up there all the time. But you know that I never went skiing until I was uh, in high school. I was already relatively old for starting skiing. And I'll never forget the first time because we went and we went to a place called Don Cheapos. Anybody remember Don Cheapos in Lake Tahoe? All right, blank stairs. There's this place called Don Cheapos. You could rent a full set of skis, boots and bindings, poles for like eight bucks a day. So we went to Don Cheapos and we got them. And I went up onto the slopes with jeans and an oversized cotton sweater. Now, the whole day was a disaster because jeans and a cotton sweater love snow. Right? They love it so much that once it gets on there, it never comes off. But I will never forget my first ride on the ski lift. I got on and that already scared me. But then... Um, my brother, who had skied before, was trying to explain to me how to get off the lift, right? And I was thinking to myself, how hard can that be? But when you go up that and you see the little ramp and you say, wait, I've got to push off and all of these things that are involved in getting off the lift, it's hard to decide whether or not it's worth taking the chance that you're going to fall and hurt yourself or to just swing all the way around and go back down, which for me was an option, And so I was there and I couldn't decide what to do. The entire time I was thinking, should I go? Should I go? Should I go? Should I go? And I I didn't decide. And so what happened was life decided for me. One of my skis bent down. It hooked the, the snow, the icy part of the snow, and I fell forward. My brother came off the lift and fell on top of me. And while he was there yelling at me for not making a decision... The two ladies who were in the lift behind us came off and fell on top of us. It was a total nightmare. You see, the point I'm getting at is this. Indecision can hurt you. And indecision can hurt the people around you. And so the question that I want to leave you with today is this. Is whose future hangs in the balance of your decision to make that commitment? Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.